0: The following Romans is chapter from 12, well, last week in verse 1, we to looked at the reality church, please visit that we are www. to present our bodies a sacrifice. And I asked you the question last week, how often do any of us think about ourselves as a sacrifice? If we're truly honest with ourselves, we probably spend most of our time Calculating and figuring out how to get ahead, how to take care of this need, how to handle this relationship, and all these things, which are important. But we do it on our own as if we're here by ourselves. And so last week we saw that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our spiritual worship. And this morning in verse 2, it continues, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, before I get into the main message, let's just deal with some very obvious things here. First of all, Don't be conformed to the world. Is there anybody who doesn't understand that? Literally, it means don't let the world's ideals and what it offers become the driving force of your life. And how do we keep from doing that? By being transformed by the renewal of our mind. By being in the word of God by prayer, by allowing the Holy Spirit to train us and lead us into the way he wants us to go. He literally transforms our mind. That's why Paul said in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Christ was a living example for us. And you and I, if we exist to bring glory to God, our number one priority would should be, how do I do that? And I do it by allowing my mind to be transformed. And then it says that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is. Now listen, I know we hate the word testing. But I'm going to tell you something. For your life, you will always be linked to testing. I hate to break it to you. But it's by testing that we discern The will of God. And we'll see more of that in a few minutes. But in discerning the will of God, we find out what is good, what is acceptable, and yes, what is perfect. So let let me ask you a question as I begin. Is your life perfect? I didn't say, is it trouble-free? I didn't say, is it easy breezy? Is it perfect? What do I mean? Well, you know, there have been many studies done over the years comparing the world's thinking and the Bible's teaching on on six key subjects. God, man, the Bible, money, sex, and success. The differences are striking, but yet what the world thinks seems extremely reasonable if not considered critically and biblically. We hear the world's approach given out so often and so attractively and so persuasively that it's imperative that we think critically about what it's saying. Now, there have been many studies done, but what comes to the surface about the world's thinking are are these. First, I matter most, whatever satisfies me, Is what's important. I mean, humanly, that makes a lot of sense. Secondly, if I earn enough money, I'll be happy. I need money to provide security for myself and my family. Financial security will protect me from hardship. Third, anything is acceptable as it doesn't, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. And boy, you hear that shouted all over our culture today. I can do anything I want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. Success is the path to fame, wealth, pleasure, and power. And then, finally, look out for number one. Well, come on. Who else is going to take care of number one? It's the way the world thinks. But how about the Christian way? From the world's perspective, the Christian way doesn't look attractive. In fact, it doesn't seem right at all. The Christian way believes God is in control of all things and has a purpose for everything that happens. Man exists to glorify God. Man exists to glorify God. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, when he was finished, he said it is good. Everything was the way it should be until sin severed that relationship. But when you and I come to Christ and reestablish that relationship, the number one priority of our life is as it was originally intended by God, and that's to glorify God. So if you just sit back and evaluate your life on a day-to-day basis, what part of your life brings glory to God? Money cannot shield us against heartbreak, future sin, disease, or disaster. And some of you know that very clearly. Success in God's kingdom means humility and service to others. Now, because we are... So much a part of this world and so little like Jesus Christ, even Christians find God's way unappealing at times, if not most of the time. Nevertheless, we are to press on in the way so that by our living example before men, we can show clearly what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Our lives are to radiate that glory, even in the midst of trials. Because that's what the world is looking at. The world's not looking at your success, they're looking at how you handle difficulty and adversity. So I find it significant here that this is where Paul's statement about being transformed by the renewing of our minds rather than being conformed to the patterns of this world ends. They end with proving the way of God to be the best way and the will of God to be perfect. And this means that action is needed. God is not producing hothouse Christians or ivory tower Christians. He is forming people who will prove the value of God's way by consistent choices and deliberate obedience. So let's look at the reality that God has a plan for me. Because you may be sitting here, whether you're 16 or 66, And you're trying to discern, what is God's will for my life? You may be a young person and you're thinking, where am I going to go in life? What school am I going to go? What career? How do I bring glory to God? What, What am I supposed to do, God? And you may be an older person who has gone through life and you've just never really grabbed on to what God really wants. How do I know? I mean, can I really understand this? So God has a will for me. Now, this last pers- par- uh, portion excuse me, of Romans 12, 1 through 2 is not difficult to handle because it points to one very obvious truth. And so let me make sure this is clear to you right now. God has a good, pleasing, and perfect will for each of us. Otherwise... How would it be possible for us to test and approve what his will is? So by very nature of that verse, he is establishing that, yes, there is a good, acceptable, and perfect will. Today, when Christians talk about discovering the will of God, what they usually have in mind is praying uh, until somehow God discloses a specific path to them, who they should marry, what job they should take, whether they should be missionaries, <clears throat> what house they should buy, and so forth. And this is, this is not exactly what proving the will of God means, nor is it really what Romans 12, too, is teaching. The will of God is far more important than that. And if you go back to Romans chapter 8, let me try to cultivate this because these next few minutes here are very, very critical. In Romans chapter 8, let me begin in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For what we should pray for as we ought, we don't know. But the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now listen, verse 27. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit... Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So, here then is tremendous encouragement for all of us. We don't always know how to pray. The Apostle Paul prayed three times that his thorn in the flesh would be taken away. And it wasn't taken. God had a different plan here. So how do we navigate through all of this? How do we understand? Well, by the inspiring, by, uh, inspired, the inspiring theme that the Holy Spirit is making unutterable requests for us. In, 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 actually, what the Spirit is doing is He is taking our prayers and He is bringing them to the Father according to His will. Now, that is a tremendous encouragement. We may not still be able to put the request of God in the right form, but we know that God knows the meaning of what His own Spirit has inspired. And the prayer request of your heart has been inspired by the Spirit. So we come to God with this understanding, knowing with great confidence that my prayers are reaching the Father the way they should. We tend to get all stressed and fearful that we're somehow missing God's perfect will for our lives. If the Spirit is interceding for us according to the will of God, we need just get into the Word of God and start digging and find it. Because isn't that the promise from God Himself? He gives us His Word and then He gives us the Holy Spirit... To guide us into all truth. So the reality this morning is. When you are surrendered to Christ. When you are living a living sacrifice. As Romans uh, chapter 12 verse 1 says. If you are not being conformed to this world. If you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You will be able to discern the leading of the spirit. Now. Just getting into the Word of God may sound simplistic, but have you ever considered what would happen if you studied deeply what God is doing? How often we have a need and we put out prayer requests, which we should, by the way. But what we're really looking for is hopefully someone else maybe has a closer relationship to God and maybe their prayers will work where mine aren't rather than hunkering down and getting into the Word of God and finding His will for us? We could know that God has a perfect will for us, that the Holy Spirit is praying for us in accordance with that will, and that this will of God is for us to be done because God has decreed it because the Holy Spirit is praying specifically in that area. But you ask the question why am I not seeing it? Why am I not seeing it? Well, having said all of this, I need to add that this is not primarily what Romans 12, 2 is saying. And and now you're confused, but stay with me. In this verse, we need to take it in the context of which Paul is writing. And the context indicates That the will of God that we are encouraged to follow is the general will of offering our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Refusing to be conformed to this world's ways and instead being transformed by the renewal of our minds. That is the will of God concerning Romans 1, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Now, it is this that we are to pursue and therefore find to be good, pleasing, and perfect. And in this pursuit, we will also find ourselves working out the details of God's special will for our life. I mean, it stands to reason that when I am actively pursuing this, when I am actively surrendered to Christ, when I am living for Him completely, God is going to put me in the place where I can best do that. And the place He puts me is in the details of my will and His will matching. You see... We major on me. Everything we do is about my fulfillment, my success, my joy. So we're never in the right place to see God's leading. But when your life majors on Him, the Holy Spirit guides you to where we can best glorify Him. So what are we saying here? You want to know how to find out God's perfect will for your life and give your life to Him. That's really what we're saying. That's really what Paul is saying here. You want to know how to have God's perfect will in your life, then just give yourself to Him. A living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that by testing, you can prove the will of God. You can know the will of God and what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So the the plan is very clear. Give yourself to Christ. Get the answers. Now, to understand this a little deeper, we need to look at the nature of God's will. And there are three aspects. One, the will of God is good. In a general way, the will of God for every Christian is revealed in the Bible. Romans 8 contains a broad expression of this plan that we might be delivered from God's judgment for us and for our sin and instead become increasingly like Jesus. That's our goal. Now, there are five specifically highlighted steps in Romans chapter 8 in this area. Foreknowledge, predestination, effectual calling, justification, glorification, all these are avenues and ways, and we would be here forever if I dealt with each one of those. But there are also many specifics. For example, the Ten Commandments contain some of these. It's God's will that we have no other gods before Him, it's God's will that we do not worship even Him by the use of images. That we do not misuse his name, that we remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, that we honor our parents, that we do not murder or commit adultery or steal or give false testimony or covet, Exodus chapter 20. Those are very specific things of the will of God. But even the Lord Jesus Christ amplified on these when he came. It is God's will that we be holy, First Thessalonians 4.3. It is God's will that we should pray, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Above all, Jesus taught that we are to love each other, John 15.12. These things often slip by us as we find it easier just to think like the world. Nevertheless, they are good, which we will discover if we obey God's direction. The will of God is here distinguished as good because however much the mind may be opposed to it, or however much the mind may think they're missing out on things, when you find God is good, you realize that obedience leads to happiness. Secondly, the will of God is pleasing or acceptable. But pleasing to whom? Well, certainly not to God. That's obvious. We do not have to prove that God is pleasing by His own will, or could we? What Paul encourages here to prove is that God's will is pleasing. He obviously means pleasing to us. That is, if we determine to walk in God's way, refusing to be conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds, we will not have to fear that when we come to the end of our lives, we're going to look back and be disappointed. We will look back and rejoice because we have walked in His Word and that we have lived pleasing lives. Now, I hasten to say here that we're not talking about trouble-free lives. Remember, there's, there's testing involved here. Number three, the will of God is perfect it's perfect. Now, there are a number of words in the Greek language that are translated by our English word perfect. One is o- okribos, for which it's the word that we come, we get our word ex- uh, accurate, meaning correct. Another is kataritzo, which means well-fitted or specific. In other words, it's like the perfect solution to a puzzle. But the word in Romans 12, too is different. It's teleos, which has the thought of something that has attained its full destiny. It is fully complete. And you see, the beauty of what Paul is saying here is that when you and I live those lives of surrender, we find completeness. We find destiny. We find lives that we know are right in the center of God's will. And it is perfect. There's not a person in this room who knows Christ that does not have the ability to live a perfect life. Now, we would look at each other and say, We're not perfect and certainly we're not. But you understand, and this is why we always talk about the spirit-filled life or the exchange life when he must increase and I must decrease, and you know it's, it's an ongoing theme with me. But when we literally live as sacrifices, it's him living through us. And is there anything else that can be more perfect? Is there anything else a greater testimony in this world than when people look at you and see Christ. But we can't even comprehend this when we're living in our own way, when we're trying to get through life our own way. Troubles come, and our initial reaction is the trouble. We view it. We look at it. We think about it. And what we think about is, what's going to happen? What's bad? How's this going to go? What am I going to do? Oh, oh yeah, God. Will you help me? Our minds aren't there. Where a child of God who is living a self-sacrifice committed life, when the trouble comes, it's, well, Lord, I know you got this. This is going to be interesting. And they trust him and walk through it. This is what Paul, you see it in his life all the time, having been shipwrecked, having been whipped, having been imprisoned. Yet, he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He walked through every day of his life in glorious victory. His life was perfect because he was living in the will of Jesus Christ. Now, this brings us to that one tough area. The third obvious point of this verse is that we need to prove by our experience that the will of God is indeed what Paul tells us it is, good, pleasing, and perfect. So we need to test it and see. We need to check it out. It's by testing it that we will begin to find out what it actually is. And this is the exact opposite of our normal way of thinking. Usually, we want God to tell us what His will is for us. And after that, we will be able to decide whether it's good, pleasing, or perfect and whether we're going to bother with it. Sometimes, God calls us to difficult situations because He has a far greater plan. If we know that ahead of time, we're going the other way. But, you know... What happens to us? We're afraid that God won't want what we want. So we hold back. But if God is right and we obey Romans 12, 1 and 2, we will inevitably find out that His way is good, acceptable, and perfect. And why? Why? Because your desires become his desires. It's that old Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself also in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of his heart. You know what that's really saying? Give yourself to God. Give yourself a living sacrifice to God. That's what delighting in the Lord means. That's what the psalmist is saying here. Give yourself to the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Literally means He will change your desires to be His desires. And every day of your life, you can get up in the morning and know that your desires and God's desires are exactly the same. Can you think of a better way to live? But... You have to believe it by faith. You have to give yourself over and obey what He says. Romans 12.2 tells us that we have to start living in God's way and that it is the only, as we do that, that we will begin to know it in its complete fullness, its complete holiness, and its complete victory. Robert Candish says, quote, The will of God can can be known only by trial. No one who is a partaker of the finite nature and who occupies the position of a subject or servant under the authority of God can understand what the will of God is otherwise than through the actual experience. You cannot explain to him beforehand that the will of God is what the will of God is And what are its attributes or characteristics? He must learn this for himself. And he must learn it experimentally. He must prove in his own person and in his own personal history what is that good and acceptable and perfect will. Do you see why testing? testing becomes your confidence. You can read the scriptures and you can read these verses and you can accept them by faith, but you never fully believe them until they're tested. And so when the Lord Jesus Christ allows testing in your life, you can rejoice knowing full well that he is testing you to prove to you what is good and acceptable and perfect. And Imagine knowing beyond the shadow of a doubt that His will is good, acceptable, and perfect, and you're walking in it. That's the purpose of testing. Everything on this earth that's created by man has to be tested and proved. Whether you're making an airplane, whether you're making tools, whatever it is, everything has to be tested to make sure it's good. And it's the same thing with you and I. We take the Word of God, but we have to be tested to prove its reality. God understands our humanness. He understands our inability to comprehend some things. So in the flesh, he allows testing so we can get it through these thick heads. When you experience walking through deep waters and you see what God did, what does that do for your confidence and faith? Exactly what it's designed to do. And so testing is very critical. Let me take you to a very vivid example of this to help you understand this more more clearly. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were put in the garden. They were told they could eat of any tree in the garden except one. Test number one. God said, Have it all, but that one. So uh, they had ongoing testing. Don't eat the tree, live in obedience. But what did they do? They were tempted. They were told that they could be like God. They were told that they could know things. And so like you and I so many times, they chose themselves over God's command and they failed the test. Instantly, they knew they blew it. Instantly, they knew their way was not good and acceptable and perfect because they ran and hid and covered themselves. Had they passed the test by obedience, think of where we'd be today. Now, should there be any doubt what is good and acceptable and perfect? Of course not. But we must be tested in order to have the reality be deep down so that it can replace our foolish propensity to do what we feel is best. Let me give you another example. Jesus Christ, who in His incarnate state took it upon Himself to prove that God's will was indeed good, pleasing, and perfect, even though it involved the pain of the cross, which in it itself did not seem at all good, acceptable, or perfect. In the garden, Jesus prayed that the cross might be taken from him. Yet, not as I will, but as you will, he said. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 5, 7 through 8, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son... He learned obedience through what He suffered. Now, this is God. God learned obedience through what He suffered? Well, the human Jesus did, just like you and I. In the book of Philippians, Paul speaks of Jesus humbling himself and becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, Philippians 2.8. It must have been such a struggle for Jesus to do the will of God. It was not easy. It was not pleasing. It was self-denial, self-sacrifice, self-crucifixion throughout. But He did it for you and I. And He proved what is good, pleasing, and perfect. Sometimes, you and I can never prove these realities without the storms. Sometimes, you and I will never be close to God without the storms. Sometimes, we can never fully grasp the reality of faith without the storms. What about you and me? We who confess Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, we are on trial now. Do our lives show that we have put God first? Are we proving that His ways are good and acceptable and perfect? Or are we still living and disobedient? Still living like Adam and Eve, hiding from the truth? You know, it's interesting. One of many people's favorite verses, Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You know, it's interesting, the Hebrew word for present, you know what it means? Well-proved. So God is our refuge and strength, a very well-proved help in trouble. Well, how is it proved? By being in it. So Romans 12.2 says that by testing you may discern or prove what is the will of God. The glorious reality that you and I have is it doesn't matter what this life throws at us. It doesn't matter the difficultness that comes. It doesn't matter the bad doctor report or the financial situation or the busted relationship. The only thing that matters is that he's increasing and I'm decreasing. The only thing that matters is I present myself a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to Him, which is my spiritual worship. That's how I worship God, by giving Him me. I'm not conformed to this world. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I want God's Word. I want, as the psalmist said, that like a deer pants after the brook, so my heart pants after you. I want God to come before everything. And when you give Him that, you're right in the center of His will. And He will put you in the place where you can best glorify Him and the details of that place become your individual, personal will. There is no way that any of us can't know the will of God unless we choose to live in the world. Unless we choose to do it our way. He must increase, I must decrease. The reality is, He's offering it to you as a sincere offer of grace. Now what will you do with it? As we prepare for communion, and as the men come, I want you to spend some time and be honest with God. If you're dealing with some tough things and you're not finding answers, be honest with yourself. Does He own you? Have you given Him yourself? Let's deal with that now as we spend a few time in meditation and preparing for the Lord's table. Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Father, we come to you now as we partake of the the bread and the cup. That glorious reminder of what you did for us. When you took on the form of man and came to this earth to give your life a ransom for many. Lord, we, we can never thank you enough this side of glory except thanking you with our lives. And so as we partake, Lord, move in our hearts again to encourage us in what you're doing. In Christ's precious name. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. the same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes it is our custom if we'll all stand and join hands, we'll sing a verse of this hymn. Don't drop my hand. Drop my hand. That saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I'm found. Was blind, and now I see. And Father, we thank you that you've removed the scales from our eyes that we're no longer blind to your truth. Help us, Lord, to be more surrendered to that truth, that we might be able to prove what is that good and pleasing, acceptable, perfect will of God. And all God's people said, amen. God bless.